Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. The other night I woke up to the pounding of my heart, sheets covered in sweat, and David asking if I'm okay. Is it him? Yes, I replied. But I'm okay now. Oh wait, that's a lie. I'm not okay. I don't know if I've ever been okay and ever and wonder if I ever will be. I grew up in a very small community. There were 10 of us kids, and I was one of the last. I remember my dad is stern and distant. He was so harsh. Only heard from him when you'd done something wrong or thought you did something wrong. I longed for my dad's attention. I longed for anybody's attention. So why am I so surprised that my choice of a mate would be any different than what I had known? boyfriend, very exciting, been to different places, was in the war, and he had paid attention to me. He loved me. He wanted me all to himself. His family also came from old traditions where women were not valued. And yet I knew, I knew that if I loved him enough, he would change. After marriage, Years followed years of verbal, physical, and mental abuse. Although I never reported any of the incidences, it was hard to hide broken noses and black eyes and fat lips with dislocated jaws. I was so ashamed to ask for help, ashamed that the man who promised to protect me and keep me from harm was actually the one causing it. Instead, I made excuses for him time and time again. I lived in this abusive cycle for 20 years until the kids were grown. He had always threatened to take them away if I ever left him or bring harm to us. And since I had witnessed so many violent episodes, I was convinced that he actually would. It was during those later years that I began another journey really seeking to find out more about God. Was he angry? Was he a God filled with forgiveness for everyone but me? Through some tough work with the Christian counselor, I started to realize that my poor choices in life were created out of a lie that I believed since I was five. God wasn't punishing me. He never intended for me to live a life like that, nor my kids. My marriage failed, but looking back, the kids and I survived. God was with me. He'd always been with me. He cried with me. He bled with me each and every time. You see, now I realize that God has given me something incredible that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise had. 
something more precious than gold. I think he's given me a, a vision that there are other women who are held in this same kind of bondage and isolation. Women who have little to no self-esteem. Women who don't know where to go or what to do. I want to be supportive and listen patiently. Acknowledge her feelings while being respectful of her decisions. To connect her to resources that can give them guidance. Help with a safety plan and above all to trust God. Do I forgive my abusers? Do I forgive my abusers? Yeah. Yeah, I do. First of all, I want to thank Annie for being willing and courageous to tell her story, because I imagine that's not easy. Here's what you want to know about Andy. Um, from Annie's own words, you heard that she was deeply, deeply wounded as a child and then as a woman. But Annie is on our team, and many of you have dealt with her. She works in our pastoral care department. She deals with crises from the community every single day. And she leads groups. She leads groups um, for people who have been betrayed. And she's led hundreds of women through these different groups and helped them move from being wounded to finding healing. And Annie's story is this. I mean, these wounds that she experienced, I'm sure we got the candy-coated version. They're deep and they're severe. And how is she able to do what she does today? It's because of this. It's because her wounds have become scars. And as we talk over the next few weeks, this series and scars, I, like I, I just want to make sure I have so many friends that are in the therapeutic community. Like nothing we say, am, am I dismissing any of that or taking that lightly? I understand that finding healing takes a lot of hard work and a lot of group time, a lot of therapy time. Um, if you came here on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, there's groups meeting all over this church campus for people who have wounds, but are hopeful that they can experience healing where those wounds can become scars. I know what that's like in my own life. Many of you do as well. So as we tackle this subject, I, I, I want us to think deeply about this idea, especially this weekend. I want us to think about Jesus as a scarred savior, a scarred savior. We'll explore that in a moment. And if you're spiritually unresolved, maybe you're not sure what you believe, um, it's probably something you've never thought about, that Jesus is scarred. But we'll look at it in just a few moments in the scriptures. Jesus is a scarred savior. And I hope that changes your perspective. I hope it challenges you to think deeply about who Jesus is. And for those of you who are already followers or disciples, it's a reminder that Jesus came to heal wounds. 
His very first public sermon when he stood up, the book of Luke says this, that he came and he came to set captives free and he came to heal people who were broken. He came to open the eyes of those who were unable to see anything. That Jesus came to restore humanity. So the whole point is this. We'll move our wounds to scars. So in, in your physical body, you've been wounded. We all have. Um, some of our wounds were self-inflicted. I've got plenty of those. I could tell you a, scar, a story about every scar on my body. Like I know where it came from. And sometimes it was me as a foolish teenager or sometimes it was a life-saving operation or it was an accident that happened. Some of those scars, there's a very traumatic story. But here's what I could tell you about every scar on my body. At one time they were wounds and they hurt. But through the process of healing, this divine concept of the body being able to regenerate, my scars don't hurt anymore. But they tell a story. And here's the challenge. If, if, if a wound stays forever, a wound is what? It's always vulnerable. It's vulnerable to infection. It's vulnerable to being re-injured. And so a wound has to move to this open wound, to a place where it's scabbed over, which is a sign of healing, to a place eventually where it becomes a scar. Well, it's not just physical things that we face in our life. It's also these wounds of the soul, of the mind. And I think that God has the same process involved, that wounds, they're real, they exist. We're not supposed to deny them. Sometimes the church presents a, a picture, like if you follow Jesus, like you'll be immune to pain. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. But I do find this, that there is a Jesus who wants to take our wounds, the wounds of the soul, and he wants to begin a healing process. And I can't tell you how long that process takes, I think it's miraculous in its origin, but it's not a wound forever. It begins to scab over and eventually there's a scar, a scar in your soul which tells a story, which sometimes has painful memories associated with it, but it no longer is an open, vulnerable wound. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? The Bible is filled with people who are wounded. In fact, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a, a character who plays a significant role who is not wounded. Uh, people limp. People were, were traumatized and experienced all kinds of difficulty. And the story is about God's faithfulness in the midst of it. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to take a little bit of time and talk about this scarred savior, this scarred savior. And I wanna read, we're gonna read three different passages of scripture to help us think in this way. And... Um, each one of them is unique. The first one is from the book of Revelation. So that's the very last book in the Bible. It's known as apocalyptic literature because it's, it's filled with imagery. In the book of John, uh, Revelation John, one of Jesus' original disciples, is having this heavenly experience. It's a divine experience where he's seeing beyond earth here and he's having this glimpse into the, the abode of God, where God lives. It's this experience into the heavenly realms. And sometimes when John describes Jesus, he'll describe him this way. He'll describe him as a rider on a white horse with a sword strapped to his thigh. But in John chapter five, this is how he describes Jesus. This heavenly portrait beyond earth. This is how he describes Jesus. John, or Revelation chapter five. Then I saw a lamb. Lamb, 
It's all this tie-in. Notice it's capitalized. It's tie-in to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's tied into this idea that God and human beings have been separated and Jesus became the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He would reconcile humanity to the Father once again. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I want you just to visualize that. When I see that, it's not pretty. It means that the lamb had signs of wounds. It means that the lamb, who is Jesus, has scars. That what happened to the lamb is still obvious. But then, what is this lamb doing? Standing at the center of the throne. And this just isn't any throne. This is the throne room of heaven. So this is the lamb Jesus who still bears some sort of semblance, some sort of marks of his life here on planet earth, of his execution by the Roman government. But he's standing in the center of the throne. Here's what John wants to do. Oftentimes we think about wounding scars being marked and that means you're disqualified. It means that you've been overcome. And here's what John does. He says, I want you to understand that Jesus, the scarred savior, bears the marks of his love for us and his marks allow him to stand in the middle of the throne, being simultaneously the scarred savior and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That Jesus even today bears the marks of what it meant for him to come to planet earth. And he's encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, Jesus, the scarred lamb of God. There's another picture of Jesus and his scars. This is from the book of John chapter 20. The context would be this, Jesus is resurrected. Um, His disciples had watched him die in this agonizing death that lasted hours upon hours to be beaten before this, to suffer everything from rejection to dying, this excruciating death in front of your mother and family. I mean, everything about it is absolutely tragic and horrific. And their last image is this battered and bloody Jesus hanging on a cross. It looks like all hope for what he was to be, this Hebrew Messiah, all those hopes have been dashed. And then Jesus appears and he appears like in these little moments. And one time he appears to the 10 remaining disciples. Judas was no longer there and Thomas had apparently gone out for coffee and he leaves the room. And the moment that Thomas is gone, Jesus shows up. And when Thomas comes back, They go, Thomas, you missed it. Like Jesus showed up while you were gone. Like bad, bad timing. And here's what Thomas says. He goes, I'll never believe that. I would actually, I would have to see Jesus face to face and I would need to touch where the nails went into his body and I'd need to put my hand in the spot where this Roman spear pierced his side. I would need verifiable proof because Thomas knows this. He knows that the last image he has of Jesus was Jesus dying on a cross, being taken down, being put into a grave. And this is what we read in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. You're asking me to believe something that is impossible. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, here's the bad news. Apparently Jesus knows what you say even when you don't know he's around, okay? (laughs) Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, to us, this seems like a a quaint little phrase, but if you were a Jewish person in the first century, this is loaded with meaning. It means that Thomas went to, I don't believe, to he just declared Jesus, who he assumed was dead. He He just elevated him to lordship. He just equated him with God. This is a profound statement. Jesus then told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? It's us. That's the generations that have come before us. That's the generations that will come after us. Jesus says, Thomas, you move from unbelief to belief in a fraction of a a second. And it was simply because you have verifiable proof. There's gonna be people, generations of people who will come to planet Earth And they're going to be blessed because they don't have that advantage. They're going to be people like us. that We're stumbling our way towards faith in Jesus. The the profound thing here is this. If Jesus has been resurrected, why in the world does he appear with a hole in his side and holes where the nails were in his hands and his feet? If, if you have the capacity, John said, the doors are locked and he still showed up, right? He's just like, I don't know, you walk through walls, but you don't fall through the floor. Something's happening, okay? If Jesus appears and Jesus could have been resurrected and Jesus could have appeared to them and he could have looked to them in this perfect, pristine fashion, not a scar on his body, but the resurrected Jesus appears how? As a scarred savior. Why? Here's point number one. I don't want to stay wounded. I don't want to stay wounded. See, wounds are inevitable. I mean, this planet wounds its own. And here's the problem. Wounded people wound other people. Like, it it just happens. It's been happening for centuries. Every war, every race issue, every neighborhood battle, every family battle, I I know that there is an element of demonic reality to that, but here's what happens. Somebody is wounded, and when that person is wounded, and that wound never becomes a scar, but stays an open wound. Wounded people hurt other, other people. It just happens. You know what happens to wounded leaders? Wounded leaders hurt the people that they're called to serve and love. It happens to wounded children. If they don't experience healing, wounded children become parents who wound. Wounded spouses wound their spouse. 
It just goes on and on. And it perpetuates itself. Human mistreatment. I'm wounded, I lash out, I just pass it on. And so generationally, it keeps moving. And somehow, some way, those wounds have to stop. They have to be healed so that what we pass on to the next generation is not more wounding, but we pass on blessing and we pass on love and we pass on health. I don't wanna stay wounded. I don't, and here's the problem. Half the time, we do not know we are wounded. We cover it up, we camouflage it. We call it ambition. We call it, um, I've heard people say, well, I'm just prophetic. I'm like, no, you're not. You're just wounded and you're mean and you say mean things to people. Like, we, we don't even notice that we're wounded. I, Jen and I would, would say this, like, we, we live life with a lot of people who seem to do really well, really adjusted. And like, when everybody turned 40 years old, it was like, the wheels came off. Like everybody's starting to get divorces and there's like all these crises. And why was that? It's because we were all wounded and we didn't know it. We didn't acknowledge it. We just let our ambitions drive us forward. And then those wounds caught up with us. And if I don't know that I'm wounded, I'll never find healing. Guys, this, this applies to many women as well, but in particular, I wanna to speak to guys. We, here's what we say, I'll be fine. People have been through worse, no big deal. It's gonna, it, it, like, don't worry about it. I will be fine. And what happens is we put off ever addressing the wound. And so the wound is covered and camouflaged by a form of masculinity. And that wound is vulnerable to infection. And that wound is vulnerable to all types of things that lead to a lack of health in our lives. And you do this physically and you do this emotionally. Um, one of the things, like I, I've loved mountain biking with my kids, but something really strange has happened. They're all in their 20s now. Is now they, they go ahead of me and wait for me. And uh, I used to lead them down the hill and like a couple of them are just really good mountain bikers. And I like, so this is really true. This summer there was an intervention. Um, I went riding with one of my 20 some year old sons and his friend and I just wiped out. Like I was trying to keep up with him on this big trail. And, and uh, so my son like had this, he came to, to my wife and he goes, mom, I think we need to talk to dad. I don't think he should be riding with us anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's probably time for him to get an e-bike and ride on the paved trails. <laughs> And so like they came to me just like, hey, so uh, here's what we're thinking. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me, right? Like, no, 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 I'll be fine. So last summer uh, I was riding with him and we we're at the top of this big hill and this is the, his last words. He goes, dad, there's a sweet new feature at the bottom. And I'm like, feature like a light show or like <laughs> what is happening? And I found out this sweet new feature is just an enormous jump that I completely crashed on. And there's a family from church walking their dog and there's the guy from the bike shop and, so, and, my son, and I just boom, 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 boom. And I am hurting, like hurting so bad, but I'll be fine. 
So I happened to have on really long socks and I could, like, I'm like, why is my foot wet? And I looked down and I realized, oh, my, my shoe is full, filled with blood because like I really cut myself. So I just pull my socks up really high and I'm like, all right, guys, let's keep going. I finished the ride. I get home. I don't want to tell my wife. I don't want to tell my son because they're trying to get me off a bike. And so I wear big tube socks and I put because I can't get it to stop bleeding for like six days. So I put a washcloth inside my sock and pull it up. I have to do it at night. And so eventually it's just not healing. It's not stopping bleeding. So I went to one of my friends who's a doctor and I go, hey, what do you think about this? And he looked at me, he goes, when did you do that? I was like, oh, like last week. He goes, I would have put at least a dozen or two dozen stitches in that. But now you've waited so long, there's nothing we can do. And now it looks like my right shin was eaten by mountain lion, right? It's, but it's all scarred up. It doesn't hurt anymore. I'm fine now. Here's the problem. I'll be fine. Man, I, like it was, it was my childhood. I'm past that. I moved on. Yeah, yeah, I know that. that it was ugly. It was terrible, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine. And so we try to cover up the wound. And you cannot cover up the wound forever. We try to camouflage the wound years ago. Um, I was playing basketball and my friend Tom, who is just a monster of a human, he outjumped me on a rebound and he came down with an elbow and it, it landed right here on my left, my orbital bone and just, just broke my orbital bone. And within minutes, like my eyes are swollen shut and I've got black eyes and I can't open them. But what do I do every weekend? I talk to people and uh, that happened on a Tuesday and Jenny's like, what are you going to do this weekend? I'm like, I don't know. Because, you know, I've got two black eyes. And when my eyes can't open, it looks horrible. And so I never thought this would happen before. But um, like she, she does a little makeup job <laughs> just before service. And then I, I put on black sunglasses. And then she's like, no, that makes it worse. Now you look like a mobster <laughs> in the pulpit. And so then I just got up, she, she put some makeup on and I'm like trying to look at people and they're like, oh my gosh, could you find a guest speaker this weekend, please? And it goes like that for weeks. So I try to cover it, right? I try to cover it. That's what we do with our wounds. I'll be fine. I'll cover it. I can compensate. I don't want to stay wounded. I don't want any of us to stay wounded. And I believe that Jesus doesn't want you to stay wounded. But if you're not careful, you stay wounded. You just cover it up and you keep moving on. And the problem with that is wounded people eventually wound other people. Let's talk about number two, which is this, this idea of a scarred savior. A scarred savior. I think we begin to find a pathway towards healing. It's not instantaneous. Yeah, it can take lots of work. But when we realize the power of what Jesus did, I want to go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. This is written 780 years before Jesus comes to planet Earth. So this passage is nearly 3,000 years old. And it is a passage that was written to help people understand why Jesus came to Earth and what was accomplished through this scarred Savior. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, it's referring to Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. 
So these are his origins, nothing unique, nothing special. Jesus was associated with two small towns, the town of Bethlehem and the town of Nazareth, both of them very small. It, it, it's, like, it's like Jesus being from Broadus. Okay, if you're from Broadus, I love you. But that, you know, like you can't say, yeah, I grew up in Broadus. People are like, what? Okay. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was, this is the scarred savior. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Not immune to pain, not occasionally experienced, but he was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. I want to pause here for a moment. I want you to think about this, that part of why Jesus came to planet Earth, why he is known as the scarred savior, is he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He absorbed it into himself. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. If you would have looked at Jesus's life, you would have said, man, he must've done something horribly wrong because look at what God has done to him. Punishment, affliction. But he was, it wasn't God's punishment. This is why Jesus came and experienced what he experienced. He was pierced for our transgressions. These Transgressions were these violations where we've stepped over a boundary. He was crushed for our iniquities. These are these moments where I purposely have violated relationship with God, where I've been selfish. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, how are you healed? by his wounds, a scarred savior. Here's what I can tell you about Jesus. He was a suffering savior. What Isaiah said 780 years before the arrival of Jesus is that if you expect God to come to planet earth, here's one thing that you would probably not anticipate is that God would suffer. That he would understand rejection He would go through physical pain. He would die an agonizing death in front of his mother and friends. He would be apparently conquered by an invading empire. Everything that could be tragic about one's life is found in the life of Jesus. He was a suffering savior, which means that he is a sympathizing savior. His suffering means this. Our wounds, regardless of their origins, wherever they came from, Jesus has experienced so much that he can sympathize, he understands. He doesn't diminish. He's not like Kosha says, get back in the game. He's like, I know what that's like. I sympathize, my heart goes out to you. There is empathy. So he's a suffering savior, he's a sympathizing savior. But what Isaiah tells us very clearly is this, and this is essential, he is also a healing savior. He is a healing savior. Jesus absorbed the pain and suffering, 
can you imagine a God? How many, how many people have died for their kings? You look at human history. Go die for your king. This is the only king who died for his people. And he said this. He said, I've come to planet Earth. I want to experience what you're experiencing. I will, I will experience every wound that is imaginable so that you can give me your suffering. So that you can, I'll bear the weight of everything that's wrong. He was pierced. I want you to make this personal. He was pierced for my transgressions. Your transgressions. He said, give me a scar for every single person that would ever live. I'd do that for you, he said. He was crushed for my iniquities. Jesus took on the punishment that brought me peace. The scars on the lamb, the scars on the resurrected savior are meant to communicate what? Not that he was a victim. They're meant to communicate this, that every time I look at the scars of Jesus, I think there's a God that loved me enough. There's a God who said, I'll enter into the human fray. I will deal with everything that's broken in their lives. I am the scarred savior and I can be healed because of his wounds. Because of his wounds, we are healed. Here's what we do. We think, oh, no, no, no. If I have enough faith, if I can just get everything worked out, if I can make it all right, if I can find the the right group, the right therapy, all that is really important. But ultimately, Jesus says this. This is how you're healed. You're healed by an interaction with a scarred Savior. He's the scarred Savior. Here's the third and final thing. I want to go back to John chapter 20 where Jesus looks at Thomas and he says this. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Here's the problem with wounds. We, uh, we just don't know how we'll ever get better, right? I don't know how I'll ever deal with what happened with my family of origin, with that betrayal, with that broken heart, with the failed marriage. Like, I don't know if I'll ever get better. I, I don't think I can ever get past this addiction. I, I've occasionally had success, but then I relapse. I mean, it just goes on and on. My heart has been so shattered. I doubt I could ever trust anybody again. I doubt I could ever find healing again. I doubt I could ever have a true relationship. I doubt I could ever be free. And so we get to the place we've tried so many things to make progress. And we just don't believe. They don't believe that my wound could be healed. And here's here's what Jesus does for every one of us. I want you to put yourself in the seat of Thomas. You're filled with doubt. I've tried. But man, this thing, this thing goes back generations. And I've done more and I've tried harder and I thought I could get past this, but this wound is real. And this is what Jesus would say. Come here. I want you to walk face to face to the scarred Savior. And Jesus holds out his hands to each and every one of us. He says, go ahead. Put your hand in the place where that Roman spear was thrust into my side. 
And I carry these scars, Jesus says. I carry these scars for you. Quit doubting that you could ever get better. Quit doubting that there's hope. Quit camouflaging and hiding your wounds. Why don't you come to the scarred savior? Quit doubting and believe. Believe that the stripes on my back were for you. The nails that held me to the cross were for you. Quit doubting that suffering means you'll never find health. Jesus says, look, I'm the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I oversee the universe and I have scars. And my followers experience pain and suffering and I know everything that they face and I am here to testify to you, Jesus says. That there is resurrection after death. That there is hope for people who have been wounded. That there are second chances. That wounds can become scars. And a scar has a story and the scars that Jesus carries today speak of the tragedy that he experienced and they speak of what? The victory that he won. One day I'm gonna get to heaven and I'll see Jesus and here's here's what I've got in my mind. My imagery of Jesus has been shaped by art. Um, Either ancient art where he's hanging on a cross, emaciated, skinny, looks incredibly vulnerable or modern art where Jesus looks like a really handsome Californian with blue eyes, right? I'm like, here's what I'm gonna see. Here's what you're gonna see. A king of kings and a lord of lords who bears the scars. He says, what defines me is the fact that I took on these scars so that my followers could find healing. Let your scars tell a story. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.